Today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13, which can be found on page 1642 of the Church Bibles. Luke chapter 24. This is uh, the same day that the women and disciples have seen the empty tomb. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he broke bread, gave thanks, sorry, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord.
Good morning. Over the years, we've heard many fantastic sermons about this important story, so it's quite terrifying having to preach this bit, I have to say. But I want to look at one question that has been bugging me, and maybe you've asked yourself the same thing. (coughs) Why didn't Jesus just walk up behind these two on the road to Emmaus, tap them on the shoulder and say, hey guys, guess who's back? The short answer can be found in verse 16, where it says that God kept them from recognising him. But surely, part of the point of Jesus' return was so that the disciples could testify to everybody that Jesus did indeed overcome death and return to life. So why did Jesus seem to play what seems to be a game of supernatural hide-and-seek? Let's start by looking at what happened when Jesus did indeed appear to the disciples a little bit further on in the story. When the two returned from Emmaus to tell the other disciples what had happened, Jesus appeared. Now, instead of being overjoyed, the whole group, including the two who had just seen him, were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. Clearly, a sudden appearance really wasn't very helpful to the disciples to understand what was going on. I would imagine that they pretty much suffered a brain overload. It's very easy for us to read this story from here, from where we are now. But we have to remember that the disciples had experienced a series of traumatic events over the previous few days. They had faithfully given up their ordinary lives to follow Jesus, believing him to be the long-awaited Messiah, the one who was going to bring about the restoration of Israel. Then the unthinkable happens, and they watch as he is beaten and crucified to death. Nobody comes back from that. All their hopes and dreams lie shattered around them. I would assume that they were physically, mentally and emotionally exhausted. And on top of that, they hear reports of angels, an empty tomb and a missing Messiah. They were certainly in no place for a rational theological discussion with somebody who had just come back to life. So perhaps Jesus' incognito appearance was a blessing. Excuse me, I need to get some water out of coffee. So let's start with verse 17, where Jesus asks them what they're talking about. In that moment, he gives them the opportunity to give voice to everything that's going through their heads. Speaking of Jesus in the past tense, how he was a prophet and a teacher, and how they had hoped that he would restore Israel. They go on to talk about the strange happenings at the tomb but we can hear the disappointment and confusion in their voices. They had stopped believing that Jesus was indeed the long-awaited Messiah. Giving up on their belief, they rested on the fact that they had hoped. Because their hope had disappeared, their hearts were broken. Indeed, they're experiencing the truth of Proverbs 13, verse 12, where it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We haven't changed much either, have we? 
We want a saviour who will take away our problems and our worries, change our lives, change our surroundings. Now the disciples had heard about the tomb and they heard that others had gone and investigated, but they didn't look for themselves. Rather, they were trying to make sense of everything stuck within the limits of their own understanding. At this point, Jesus could have said to them, look at me, I'm back, it's all true, and then revealed himself. But instead, he gently chastises them for being foolish and not believing. Now, the word here, foolish, literally means unintelligent, a bit dim. They were both slow or defective in their understanding and in their heart belief. And I'm not sure I would have been any different in their situation. He then takes them through all of the scriptures, pointing out all those verses that speak about him. Now, where we're sitting today, we're so familiar with these verses. They're so obvious. We see the prophecies, and they obviously point to Jesus. And as Christians, we understand, perhaps only barely, that the whole of the New Testament points forward to Jesus and clearly to God's plan, that was who, which was to send his son as a sacrifice for our sins. But we're at a point where we, are, we have the value of hindsight and being removed from the events of a thousand years ago. To witness Jesus' gruesome and bloody death firsthand must have been something else. Now, I do wonder if Jesus went through every one of the 350 or so prophecies about him in the scriptures. Certainly, verse 27 seems to indicate just that. Scriptures that spoke of his birth, his death, his purpose in coming, everything that he would do, whether expounding the scriptures, healing, forgiving sins, as well as those things that would be done to him, over which he had no earthly control betrayed, beaten, and killed. In other words, Jesus was and is who he claims to be. Every single thing about him was foretold and written down long before it happened. Whether from Genesis 3, where it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Or Deuteronomy 18, where it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. How about Isaiah 7, 14, where the Messiah would be born of a virgin? Or the one we know so well, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Micah 5, 2, giving the location of Jesus' birth. Finally to Zechariah 9, where the king comes rising, riding on a donkey. Jesus took them through the scriptures. They had missed what the prophets had said about the suffering servant because they'd focused on what was important to them in their lives, which at that point where they expected an earthly king who would free Israel from the grip of the Romans. I'm not sure that eternity and the second coming were in their minds at all at that point. But in order to believe, they needed a fresh understanding of God's word. So Jesus explained to them the truth about all that had happened and what was going to come. 
I don't think that these two disciples could have begun to take any of that in if they'd been looking at Jesus himself. In fact, their conversation at this point seems to be the pivot point to the whole story. The the Old Testament is full of prophecies and promises which find their fulfilment in the person of Jesus Christ. As one commentator stated, he is both the suffering servant, the man of sorrows who offers his own blood in atonement for all the world. And at the same time, he is the mighty warrior returning from battle, covered in the blood of his enemies. Jesus shows both on the Emmaus Road from the scriptures. The suffering servant and the conquering Messiah are the one and the same person. And when the scriptures were opened to them, only then were their eyes opened and their hearts warmed. I find this amazing that Jesus points first to the scriptures before revealing himself. After all, he could have performed some amazing miracle or even appeared as he did in the transfiguration, white and shining. But no, he uses scripture to reveal himself. And here I'm reminded of the parable he told about Lazarus and the rich man back in Luke 16. When the rich man had died, he begged Abraham to restore Lazarus to life, to go back and warn his own brothers about what awaited for them after death. But Abraham replied, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be convinced if somebody rises from the dead. This is also confirmed when Jesus raised his friend Lazarus to life after three days. John reports that many believed, but not all. So raising from the dead is not enough for people to believe in him. Undeniably, there is certainly power in the name of Jesus, whether it is Peter saying to the layman, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, or even the sons of Sceva who tried to use Jesus' name as a means of furthering their own careers. And they discovered what happens when you try to use the name of Jesus without knowing Jesus for yourself. But there is also power in the rest of God's written word in our Bibles. Jesus used scripture to confirm his identity and enable people to believe in him. And so did the disciples who followed him. A great example of this is just a few pages over when we look in the book of Acts. Peter preaches to the whole crowds and he starts with scriptures, the prophecy of Joel that we know very well, in the, in the last days I will pour out my spirit. Before he moves on to quoting King David's prophecies in the Psalms, where the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my place of honour at my right hand until I humble my, your enemies. If we were to look at many of Peter and Paul's conversations and sermons, we would see them full of scriptures, primarily prophecies confirming that Jesus came as predicted, was killed as predicted, and rose again as predicted. In fact, in Peter's second lesson, sorry, in Peter's second letter, He says that, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the own prophet's own interpretation of things. 
for prophecy has never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this is Peter who lived side by side with Jesus, seeing miracles, listening to his teaching, and even experiencing with his own eyes the glorification and transfiguration of Christ. But instead of just saying, I saw him, it's true, he says the most compelling arguments and evidence which substantiates who Jesus Christ is are in the prophecies found in the scriptures. His own experience only added to what he already knew to be true. Now this is something unique about our Christian faith. No other faith has so many prophecies written by so many people over such a long time period which all point to one person. One singular person who fulfilled every part of every word. So what can we take from this passage today? I think there are two things. As we walk with Jesus through the ups and downs of life, there are times when things just don't make sense to us. Times when we were sure that the Lord was in a situation that things would turn out well, but disaster struck. Loss, confusion, then your confidence evaporates. It wasn't supposed to be like that. Nothing makes sense. Did I miss something? Did I get fooled? Is any of it really real? We can take heart that within these situations, God is working all things for our good. Now, if God shut the eyes of the disciples from seeing the risen Saviour, it was because he had a better reason and perfect timing. God closed the minds of the to Jesus' frequent statements about his death because he knew it was better to let them go through the hurt and despair of those few days so they could fully understand everything in the full light of the resurrection. And we see the joy in their faces and the warmth in their hearts when they understood. No doubt there are a few reasons why we are disappointed with God. We spoke about some of those in our Lent series. We can be disappointed with God because of our expectations of him or that we're only concerned about the parts of his word, the the good bits rather than the whole. But Jesus comes into our situations. He is waiting for us to invite him in, to lay down our expectations, our decisions about what should and shouldn't happen our clever mental gymnastics. In fact, to lay down all of ourselves so then he can give us fresh understanding. We might not get all the answers that we want, but he will make himself known to us. Secondly, my final point, just as Jesus used the scriptures to reveal himself to the disciples on the road of Emmaus, we too should rely on the same scriptures to share the truth about Jesus with others. Through preaching, teaching, sharing the Bible, we can help others come to know and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Roman 10 put it really well. 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but they can only call on him if they believe in him, and they can only believe in him if they've heard about him, and they can only hear about him if someone preaches about him. How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that's us. We're the feet. And we're the voices too. If Jesus and the disciples use scriptures to convince others, then surely this is the template that we need to use too. After all, each one of us has been convinced by the truth by hearing and believing the word of God. No doubt at some point our hearts were also warmed by these truths and hopefully that word of God, whether read for ourselves or listened to, still burns in our hearts today. I'll leave the last words to Ephesians 6, which says, Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all with the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that every single word of your Bible is true. Thank you that we can rely on you, we can trust in you, and we, can, we know that when we step out in faith that you are there, you support us and you care for us. Father, we thank you that Jesus showed us how to live and how to witness to others. But more than anything, we thank you that he died and rose again and is a fulfilment of every one of your prophecies. As we go into this week, Lord, we pray that you will remind us of your words, that you will speak truth into our lives so that we can share with others. Amen. <laughs>